the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. All about golf, from putting to driving, from hooks to whatever. Now, here's your host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, Rich Styles. And good morning and welcome to the show. The Back Nine Boys is brought to you by Mizuno Golf, Reach Beyond, by Club Car, the leader in sport, utility, and personal vehicles, by RSM, proud sponsor of the RSM Classic, giving back to our community. By Bridgestone Golf, get fitted for your Tour B ball today. And by the club at Sea Palms. On the show, we're going to talk with Jim Nugent, CEO of the online golf hub, Global Golf Post, about the new TV deal with Live Golf and the CW Network. Big surprise. Then we'll talk with Corey O'Rourke, a fitness expert and certified TPI trainer. And then we'll talk with putting director of Sea Island, Phil Kenyon, about putting in general and where to put the ball in your stance. A lot of variations about that, some interesting suggestions that should help you in your short game. And I asked Phil about ball position in your putting stance. Should it be front? Should it be middle? Where do you put it? Is it back? Here's what Phil said. Well, I think it, it depends on the individual. Um, you know, people have uh, different biases in terms of how they aim it, how they stroke it. Fundamentally, you want to try and hit the ball on with a slight rise angle. Um, so you want the ball position to be ahead of the bottom of the bottom of the arc of the stroke, uh, but that could vary depending on the player stroke type. So you've got to you've got to consider these things on a player by player basis. Ball position can also impact a player's aim, whether that's relevant to the dominant eye or you know, the perception of where they see straight. So there's variations that you can have. You can have a player who looks like they plays the ball more up front, but it works for them. They'll play a, ball who, a player who plays the ball that looks further back, but it can work for them. So there is some scope for um, individual ball position. But I'd say, like, the main premise would be to be able to hit, hit the ball on the upstroke. So a slight rise angle, so the ball needs to be positioned ahead of your low point of the stroke. And how do you test for that? How do you figure out what that is for each player? There's some kind of a contraption or something that you use, or you just watch them putt and figure out where that best point is? Yeah, you, it's just part of that analysis that you do with the player. Um, you know, you're measuring their aim, you're measuring... Um, the perception of straight over the ball, how um, you know how the ball position could potentially impact that. You're looking at the stroke to consider that you know the angle of attack, the swing direction, those things, and then as a consequence, you formulate what you believe to be the best ball position for that player. So it's a kind of integral um, part of any assessment. Some of it is done intuitively. And then some of it would be done with some sort of formal identification. All right. When you work with someone, when you're talking about putting, you obviously watch them stroke. You, you watch them putt, whether they're coming straight back or kind of doing an arc. Yeah. Um, what are a couple of the most important things that you want all of your players, not only on the tour but off the tour, to know about putting or to learn about putting from you? Well, there are lots of different styles, and 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 there are, you know people have, and coaches will have different preferences, but you know the ultimate judge, you know, the judge and jury really is impact. You know you've got to be able to deliver the club face square, hit the ball out of the centre, 
uh, deliver the correct loft and ideally um, have a path with very little error. So it's your impact conditions. And that can, you know, there's a variety of different ways that you can do that. But if you can learn to square the club face, hit it out in the middle, deliver the correct loft, you're going to start the ball online with a good roll. And that would be the most important thing, to learn to deliver the club face square, control the club face, centred strike, and you know, you're, going to be, you're going to have a fairly functional stroke. A lot of people are now talking about getting fitted for a putter, and a while ago that really wasn't as important as it is now. Does it, how long does it take to get fitted for a putter properly? Well, it could take anything up to, uh, you know, from 30 minutes up to two hours. You know, with some tall players, that could be a couple of hours to go through various options. Um, You know, uh, the putter can affect a player's ability to aim. It can affect their rotation profile and therefore your ability to score the club face up. And then also each putter, the ball's going to behave differently off, off off the putter. So you've got different inserts, different milling, different CG locations, so that can affect the spin and launch of the ball. So a really in-depth fitting is going to look at all of those areas, what's the best putter for you to aim, what's going to match your rotation profile, and then you know the putter itself, what's going to optimise your launch and, and roll. So it can take a long time to kind of sift through those um, different you know parameters. Um, and sometimes it can be very, very quick. There's some obvious things that can jump out on you and you can get fitted very quickly. Um, or you could go through a basic fitting. Right. You know, For example, the one fundamental thing that you need to be able to do is start the ball online. If a putter causes you to aim poorly, then you need to address that. And, and that's something that could be very quickly addressed in, in a shorter fitting. So if I was to come in with my... 18 and a half putters that I have, uh, different weights, uh, different lengths, um, you would quickly decide visually, get rid of those and I'll take these, or do you have to have someone hit all the putters that they have, which obviously could take a long time? No, I mean, you, you can compartmentalize different putters into different uh, sections. So you're going to have like your toe hang face balance, you know, maybe different offsets, things like that, different lengths. So, um, you you know, you, you test ac- ac- um, across a few different ranges, see which ones really uh, work best for you, and then uh, go from there, really. So you, you wouldn't have to test all 18, but you'd kind of, you'd, you'd pick out the common sort of themes amongst the putters that you have and, and test across those. But you have to test. Right. That's the important thing, like... Every putter has a sort of like a profile, whether it be an aiming profile or torque profile, which is how the putter may want to swing. But then the player has a profile, um, in particular a torque profile, which is the torques and forces they apply to the club. Now you have to test how those two interact. You know, does the player override what the putter wants right. to do? Is the player susceptible to what the putter wants to do? And you really only know that once you measure that. You measure how they interact. I've measured thousands of strokes over the years, and there are some players, no matter what putter they use, it makes no difference. Hmm. It might feel slightly different to them, Hmm. um, but they're responding and making the putter behave in a certain way. 
or, the, or they cut, or the putter's not able to influence how they move it. And then you get some players who are very susceptible to the putter that they have. And you really don't know that until you measure it. So that's, you know, with the technology that we have these days and in the studio here at Sea Island, we have, you know, that technology where we can very quickly measure what the putter's doing, how that's interacting with your stroke to be able to best decide what the right putter could be for you. Well, I know when I saw you at Augusta at the Masters, you were working on the putting green, and I also saw you on TV working at the Open. How different is it working on the various greens between, let's say, Augusta National and St. Andrews? Yeah, very different. Um, And I think the players have to prepare accordingly. So Augusta, you've got a lot more slope. The average slope at Augusta, I think, is um, 2.5% where the pins are. On you know, a regular PJ Tour event, the average slope where the pin would be would be 1.5%. Hmm. You've also got quicker green speed, so you're having to play a lot more break. Now, at the Open, you've got flatter greens. Um, St. St Andrews this year in particular, very flat. Or you've got an extreme slope that you've got to put up and over across from long distance. You've also got big flat greens um, that you've got to hit long putts across. So you're, you've got a very different challenge. You've got to be very good at reading the subtle breaks. You've got to be used to hitting a 60, 70 foot putt up and over, you know, dead elephant. Um, so you, you're preparing differently. There's a, a lot more like shallow break work. There's a lot more pace work that's done out on the golf course where, you know, pace pace work from distance right and you know also using your imagination across some of these weird and wonderful slopes where i think in augusta it's more about matching line and pace and then being able to see the amount of break that you're not used to seeing at regular events so you're preparing slightly differently you know on both okay on both venues you're trying to hold puts hitting hole puts but there's a slight tweak in what you're what you're doing do you think most people um, overread the greens and think that there's more break than there is? No, I'd say the opposite. Okay. I'd say the average golfer underreads. That is uh, putting guru Bill Kenyon, director of putting at Sea Island, who works with several PGA European players, lots of amateurs on their putting. And uh, I probably would have looked at it the other way, but he said we underread the greens. Next up is. Fitness guru, Carrie O'Rourke, she'll be with us live. Uh, but I also want to talk to you about what's going on at CJ's Italian Restaurant. Uh, if you have kids, you want a pizza party for a different kind of birthday party, call them, work it out, and they can come in. The kids get their own dough. They can make their own pizzas with whatever they want on it. That could be really, really interesting. And check out their monthly specials, which are created each month by the local elementary schools. They get part of the proceeds. The kids uh, decide what kind of pizza they want to make, and you can order that and support the school. But CJ's is a great business. Uh, most of their food is made up out of their kitchen from scratch every morning, including pizza doughs, the breads, the sauces, the dressings, the topping, the meatballs, the lasagna, and that list just goes on and on and on and on. Produce is delivered fresh, and if you want to call in and uh, get your order, you can pick it up right at the door. Or you can use DoorDash, and they can deliver it to you. But check out their full menu at one of my favorite places, the only place I go for pizza, CJ's, ItalianRestaurant.com. Andrew Novak, Corn Ferry Tour, and you're listening to the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. 
And welcome back. I'm Rich Stiles. Our next guest is Corey O'Rourke, who is a Titleist Performance Institute trainer, or TPI. Good morning, Corey, and welcome to the Back Nine Boys podcast. I didn't know I was going to be following the hottest putting coach around, so I went and put some more <laughs> lipstick on before uh, getting into this live video. <laughs> yeah, he is. He is pretty popular. He's a really, really nice guy. So as a fitness instructor, did you work out this morning already? I did not already, uh, but I will be today. I have my plan in place. My son is home because it's a weekend, so we go to the gym together. On okay, weekends. well, you always have to have a partner. That kind of helps your commitment, exactly. doesn't it? Yeah, that's probably one of the biggest problems, I think, with people, for me especially, when you don't have a partner or somebody to be accountable to, it is difficult to get up off the couch, out of the chair, and go do it. That is true in all aspects of life, right? When we're trying to make changes, <laughs> yeah. especially now that it's a new year, everybody is making new resolutions. We're well into January. Are your resolutions still on the table or have you abandoned them? There is definitely a mental aspect of motivation and especially for physical activity. It's hard for us as humans to, like you said, get up off the couch and do it. But that's why you want to have an actual plan in place so you know what you're going to do every single day. You're not wondering. You've got right. a plan. You know when I'm going to do it, when I'm going to be do it, and what results I will be getting from my efforts. Yeah, I think that's the key. We, we tend to look at it in a society as we are now. We want everything now. I mean, we don't want to, I mean, we don't want to wait. We just, yes, I want to lose weight. Okay, tomorrow I, I want to lose five pounds. We're not willing to go through all the steps that really need to be done, and that tends also to working out. That's true, and that is a pitfall that we're looking for the quick fix or the magic pill, looking right. for gimmicks online that are going to fix everything quickly. And when it comes to our golf fitness, what we really want to do is look at the fundamentals because although you want, like you said, you want those results quickly, right. we also want those results to last for a lifetime. And let's say you're 50, 60 years old, you still have 20 to 30 years of golf left in your lifetime. Yes. So starting now with good habits are going to help you enjoy this game for a lifetime so that when you get on the course and you are stepping up to the first tee, you're not tight. You're not grouchy. You know, your body is ready to perform. You've got the fundamentals of your golf body ready to go so that you're happier. You're having more fun with your buddies. You're not the guy who's complaining on every hole. Like, oh man, I used to be so flexible and strong when I was young <laughs> and now I'm just not. And you blame yeah. your body on your poor performance yeah. when you don't have to, because well, it's easy to fix that. Yeah. But we are also a society of excuses. And we definitely don't want the excuse to come back and say, look in the mirror. That's the problem. I hear excuses every day, Rich, and, and I hear them so much that they just bounce off of me. <laughs> and that's why I'm lucky to be able to work with golfers who have worked past those excuses. They want to be with me. They want to improve. They want to feel better in their body. And it's such a great community of people who are yeah. like-minded and who are looking forward to being better golfers and enjoying the game more because their body's in shape, 100%. Do, do, do you think that we need to look as it, you know, because we procrastinate? I mean, we come up with excuses. Do you think we need to look more for the results that we want to get to and how it's going to be? Um, and probably most people don't really have a plan. I think that's the mind game that we have to choose to play with ourselves instead of saying, 
I need to get up and do some squats saying, I'm going to get up so that I'm going to have these results that okay. I'm looking for. And once some, anything becomes a habit in life, it becomes easier. So for me, it's been a habit to be involved in fitness in some way or another for 20, 30 years. I don't think twice about it. When I go to a restaurant, I just, my body doesn't want fried chicken. And it's not because right. I have to mentally say, I'm not going to eat that. It's just because it's become a habit in my life to make better choices. So to your point, yes, you want to look at what results you're looking for and take the actions because motive, there's no such thing as motivation creating action. Action creates results, which creates the motivation to continue. Right, right. And so I hear people all the time saying, I'm waiting for the motivation. I'm waiting for the motivation. <laughs> that motivation hasn't appeared in the last 30 years of your life, has it? So right. find yourself a coach that helps you with these very specific results you're looking for. For me, you know, I, I deliver results for uh, uh, older population, golfers age 45 and older who are looking to increase flexibility and speed. You come to me for that. If you're a college player and you want power, you look for somebody who, who specifically is geared towards that. So find the resources that are going to give you the results that you're looking for. You got to dig in. You, your brain has to tell you to do it. And eventually, as you start to see results, that motivation will become internally and you will continue on okay. easily. You do a lot of stuff online. You also do a lot of stuff in person. Is there really a difference to doing it online with you or in person? Well, like many businesses, COVID pivoted many of our our ways of doing business. Right. Actually, I am 90% virtual. Oh. And I will share with you that the results are the same. Hmm. The price is better because I'm able to deliver something at a better price than you consuming my hour of my time in person, right, right. that's expensive. You can't show up for your in-person appointment because you forgot you have a dentist appointment. You're still paying me for that appointment. So the virtual methodology allows me not only to deliver the proper workout routines, right. but also now you're part of a community of golfers all over the country who are working towards those same results. You can interact with each other. Yeah. You can talk about what golf course you're at this weekend. And I can give you all of the educational information virtually that you don't get in one-on-one -on -one training because I know I've been doing one-on-one -on -one training for 15 years. We talk about what you made for dinner and you know who you, who you hung out with this weekend. Virtual, you get all of the what is ground force power? What is the kinematic sequence? What do you eat before and after a round of golf? How much Inter water should yeah. you drink? Mental coaching from my from my mental coaches that I partner with. Virtually, you could just get a whole world difference of, of an experience. Right. So what is your website so our listeners can go to it and check out what you do? Sure. CoreGolfFitness.com. And I do a 12-week virtual program for golfers age 45 and older to increase flexibility and speed. So mostly it's just helping you learn how to feel better in your body specifically for golf, but it also helps your fitness at the same time. All right. What should I do every day in order to, because I play golf maybe two, three, four times a week, um, work a couple days part-time, but what would you recommend everybody do every day? 
what you want to do every day, of course, is one going to depend on what your goal are. But I would right. say for, for my particular audience who are looking for more, more mobility, flexibility, is to have a personal flexibility, mobility routine that you can do every day. It can be as little as 10 to 15 minutes because okay. the most important aspect of it is consistency. So then when you step up to that first tee, you don't need an hour warm up beforehand or it doesn't take you four holes to get into the groove. Like your right. body is primed and ready to go <laughs> because you've been in your daily routine up until that point when you step up to the first tee, you're ready to go. Right. So what do you recommend prior to playing golf for people to do? Because as you said earlier, a lot of people drive up, park their car, get their cart, get their bag out, go to the first tee, kind of maybe do a couple of little stretches and then they're ready to go and wonder why they don't do well in the right. first three or four. And then, and then they say it takes me till four, hole four right. or hole five to really right. be ready to go. Right. So you want to focus on two things. One, getting your blood flowing a little bit. Okay. So that's doing any sort of movement, walking around the parking lot. And then you want to get your joints mo moving. So you want to warm up and make sure your shoulders have already moved. Your blood's pumping to your shoulders, your hips. Those are the, the hamstrings. Those are the probably the three top parts of our body right. that I hear people complain about in their golf swing is loss of shoulder mobility, hip rotation, lower back, and hamstring flexibility. So you would focus on the two things, mobility and flexibility, so that you're at least loose and ready to go on the first hole. All right. A lot of times, big discussions. What do you recommend? And you see the pros do it on TV. I mean, they're either eating a protein bar, having a peanut butter jelly sandwich, they're drinking some kind of a powder with water. What do you recommend? Well, as, as you just said, I think there's been a change in what we're seeing too with the pros over the last like 20 years right. on what they're eating. And there's definitely a lot more attention to proper nutrition where they're eating bananas instead of Snickers bars. Right. So you would want to have some sort of food before an actual meal before you play golf because it takes a long time to golf. You'd want to eat uh, on the course every two to three holes. And we're not saying you have to okay. eat a sandwich, but some sort of nutrition focusing on protein and carbs. So some things that I would suggest on the golf course would be like meat sticks, uh, uh, trail mix, fruit. We do a lot of grapes and apples in my house because those are easy to just grab and eat right. versus you know, a mango. You can't really eat that on the right. golf course. Yeah, Anything that's natural is going to be preferred over something that is created that has chemicals in it. So there are nutrition bars that are all natural, like the Laura bars and the RX bars. Those would be the, the preferential choice. As far as liquids i mean water is always the best choice but if you're in a pinch and it's it's really hot out and you're sweating a lot uh, we like the liquid iv packets because they're portable you can put them right into your water bottle you can have five of them in your bag and they're not going to weigh you right, down right right i went to a, a member guest tournament with a, a friend of mine and in between one of the holes they serve brunswick stew i don't even know what that is <laughs> well it's it's a soup i mean it's you know why would you you know, serve a soup in between a member guest or any kind of golf tournament. I mean, it's <laughs> not they, the thing to did do. Did you have to eat it with a spoon or did they yes. put it like in a cup to drink? No, it was with a spoon. <laughs> it was just, none of us got it. It was just like, what? What is that? Well, that goes to the convenience factor too of right. when you're golfing. Right. I mean, the first thing is you don't want to put something that melts in your golf bag. So a lot of these bars have chocolate in them and then you try and open them and they're a mess. So right. practicality, soup might not be your best choice yeah. <laughs> and any sort of chocolate, Right. In your bar, it's going to melt and be a mess. Yeah. How do you work with golfers to improve balance? Because that's another thing. Besides flexibility, as we get older, 
our balance. Uh, you know, we, we trip over things. We, you know, yeah. So you want to have better balance, not only for golf and your weight transfer, but also in life, because right. you want to be able to, when you fall, to be able to catch yourself so you don't fall and break your hip. So balance is very easy to work on. It's just a matter of doing it. There's nothing fancy about it. You just have to get in there and do the exercises to actually make an effort to help your balance. And then also, which is the key here, is working on balance by closing your eyes, which is really difficult too. So it's, it's not hard to improve it. It is the hardest part is making yourself do it. All right. I noticed on your website that your sons both play golf Uh um, and that you help them increase their drives by 15 to 25 yards within a single season. So, so remember now they were they they were high schoolers when we were doing that. So okay, that there's okay. two factors their bodies are changing, but for them when you're in that age group of being a 20-year-old, 18-year-old, 22-year-old <laughs> As I said earlier, power is key. So that is looking at traditional weightlifting and powerlifting. That helps you increase the strength in your body, as well as looking at your flexibility and mobility. But they're, you know, they're young, they're strong, their egos are huge, and they really, really care about increasing that drive versus feeling better in your body so you're not playing with pain, which eventually you get to that in your lifetime. All right. One more question. How do you increase flexibility? It, again, it is one doing a TPI assessment to know exactly how your body gotcha. is contributing to your swing faults. So, what is it in your body that needs to improve? So, one, you need the data for yourself. Okay. And two, you just got to do it. You got to wake up, like you said, every day, have your routine that is specific to your body. Again, you'd want to touch on all parts of your body, but if you particularly have tight hamstrings, you'd focus more on that and spend a little bit right. more time on hamstrings. And then retest yourself on a you know whatever basis you're comfortable with to make sure that you're making improvements and progress along the way. Well, before we did this interview, you asked me what is stopping you from doing the things that you want to do, and I said, it's me. It's, it's it is. me. And sometimes people are okay with that, but then you have to take responsibility. <laughs> exactly for where you're at in life right. because you didn't just wake up and feel tight and stiff in your swing. That's something that's happened over the previous 10 years, 20 years, right. 30 years. Right. Uh, so years. And able right. to move forward, right. like, uh, going right back to what we talked about at the beginning, it takes consistency, right. but it's worth it. Like it's worth it because gotcha. this this game of golf is a, it's a lifestyle. It is how you spend your time. You're spending three days a week there. You've got friends, maybe your wife or your kids golf with you. So it's not just a sport. Like it's a lifestyle. It's something that gives us mental clarity and mental health. So why not do what you need to do to play with less pain, to play with more power, to hit those drives farther, to not be grouchy on the golf course <laughs> and to feel better in life and extend your extend your happiness and, and your lifespan as well. I got you. All right. Give us the website one more time, Carrie. Core Golf Fitness, C-O-R-G-O-L-F-F-I-T-N-E-S-S.com. Dot com. Gotcha. Thank you very much. Have a great day. Thank you for taking time. You've already uplifted everybody. So thanks for being with us. <laughs> Thank you. All right. I appreciate it. That is uh, Carrie O'Rourke uh, with Core Golf Fitness. Lots of great suggestions. And the biggest obstacle is ourselves. So we got to move. We got to do it. And we've got to be consistent about it. So I've got to go work out right after the show. Maybe during the show. We don't know. 
All right, coming up next, uh, CEO of Global Golf Post, Jim Nugent. We'll be right back on the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. Hello, my name is Augustine Pisa. I'm a golf course architect, and you're listening to the Back Nine Boys. And welcome back. I'm Rich Stiles. Uh, Global Golf Post is a free online pub. The GGP's CEO is with us, Jim Nugent. Good morning, Jim. How are you? Good morning, Rich. Happy New Year, and thank you for having me on today. It's always a pleasure. I love having you on, and I hope I'm not interrupting your golf game right now. Uh, no, you're not. Okay. Um, I've uh, taken temporary residence here in the great state of Florida to uh, shorten the winter in Chicago, So, yeah, but no golf today. Yeah, I totally, totally relate to that. All right, so the big news this week, what do you think of the news of Liv and their TV contract with CW? How do you do a yawn on the radio? <laughs> uh, you just do it. You pause, I guess. You know, yeah. they, they got a deal done. They're boastful of it. They think they made a great step forward. The reality is this is a television network that, that barely exists. Yeah. Um, I, I, they're claiming victory. More power to them, but I don't think it's uh, significant, and it certainly has no impact on their revenue situation because they're not getting paid a, a rights fee by the CW network. Yeah. And it's such an odd choice. I mean, it, it's kind of like, let's go to the bottom of the list and the bottom of the list I think would be CW, which has a very young audience. But, um, as we just talked about, it's kind of was their only option. It was their only option. They, they, they tried desperately to get uh, Fox network involved. They played on the Australian roots relationship between Greg Norman and Rupert Murdoch. Um, but it just didn't get done. Yeah. Uh, nobody's willing to pay uh, live for their product at this moment in time. Down the road, we'll see. But at this moment in time, it was a desperation move. It, they had to have this to maintain any kind of credibility in front of uh, mostly the players, to be honest with you. Yeah, I think the players will probably wonder when are they going to get this done. You have been very strong in your opinions about Greg Norman thinking that he would be replaced. Do you still feel that way, and is it this year? I, I do think long-term that he's not going to be part of the, the uh, league going forward. I thought that maybe something might happen at the end of last year. It, it didn't. So I think he's uh, going to be around for the rest of this, this calendar year, the rest of this season. But I think the Saudis in their hearts know that at the end of the day, uh, he was a, a bombastic guy that helped uh, get it started. Yeah. But he's not the guy to build this on a long-term basis if there is to be a long-term basis. And big uh, news also, three top execs uh, have already left. Well, that's a real problem. They're, they're having difficulty keeping, uh, retaining talented Sports executives. Uh, Sean Bratches, uh, a very, very accomplished man, uh, spent most of his career uh, at ESPN, departed uh, last year over Norman's silly comments about uh, the killing of the journalist Khashoggi and learning from his mistakes. And then the chief operating officer and the franchise uh, coordinator left at the end of last year. You know, they'll get people to fill those jobs right. because they'll, they'll pay silly money. But any adult, any accomplished person is going to do their due diligence with the guys that left 
and they're going to run, not walk. They're going to yeah. run from the opportunity despite the buckets of money that will be thrown at them. Yeah. Do you think that if Norman is gone, um, that uh, Liv and the PGA Tour could eventually work together in some form? I don't know the answer to that question, Rich, but I do know this. There will not be a conversation. There will not be any dialogue. There will be no hint of compromise or reconciliation until Greg Norman is out of the picture. Yeah, yeah, probably no discussion whatsoever. Um, One of the things that I've noticed since these players have left the PGA Tour uh, and obviously it could be because there is no media, not a lot of media coverage at all, is that you really don't hear about any of the players that are playing now on the live tour at all in the media. No, you don't. Um, and, you know, that's unfortunate because some of these players, particularly Cam Smith, I mean, Cam Smith is a bright young yeah. talent and, and, you know, it's disappointing to see him go. Some of the others, um, you know, they, they've effectively aged out. And, and some of them, like Sergio, um, you know, they're just, they, they were powders. They, 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 they didn't move the needle any longer, and, right. and nobody really cared. Right. More importantly uh, than exposure is the rankings, the official world golf rankings. Right. These guys are plummeting in the rankings. And I think that Norman probably overpromised these players yeah. uh, about his ability to uh, get ranking points. And it hasn't happened. And I believe that at the end of the day, that's the impediment uh, to live recruiting more players because it yeah. you fall a whole lot faster than you climb back. Yeah. And when these guys start to get outside the top 50 and no longer are eligible for majors, that's going to be a real point of contention with Norman and the players, and it's going to be a real stumbling block for Liv going forward. Yeah, besides the overpromises from Norman and the people that were with him, do you feel that some of the Liv players, maybe despite let's take the money out of it, have regretted making the change? No, I don't. Maybe Cam Smith is, is having second thoughts, but as I said, some of these guys, Westwood, Coulter, even Dustin Johnson, who said he was going to retire soon, hmm. Sergio, they, they're not competitive anymore in the PGA Tour. They don't really care. Um, they took the money. They're, they're happy. Yeah. Um, so I don't, if there's any regret, you're not hearing it, you're not seeing it. Uh, you look at Brooks Kepka. I think in the back of his mind, he knew that his body couldn't withstand uh, the punishment of, of playing at the level he did and that his career was going to be very short. So why not cash in now and uh, go sailing for the rest of your life? Yeah, well, do you think that the PGA Tour, which has increased the PIP money and the prize money, that they should be thanking the players anyway, uh, Phil, for the increase in bucks? You know, any objective person has to say that this has been uh, a positive thing for the the players on the PGA Tour and for itself. Uh, Jay Monahan will tell you, and I believe that for the most part he's accurate, that much of this was planned, uh, was, was going to be implemented over a period of time, largely thanks to the, the big windfall of, of television money. Yeah. But Liv forced them to move much more quickly than they anticipated, and I think that uh, 
the players in the tour should uh, be appreciative of the disruption that Norman and Liv created. Yeah. All right. The PGA schedule's out. Uh, some changes, uh, a lot of increased purses in some tournaments, uh, some no FedEx points. Your thoughts on that for next year or for this year? Well, it's going to be an interesting year to see how this uh, shakes out as far as the 14 or 15 so-called designated tournaments uh, play out versus the rest of the PGA Tour. The reality is that during the Tiger Woods era, there was a two-tier tour. There were events that Tiger played in, and there was everybody else. Right. And really, that's kind of where we are today. It's just becoming a little bit more formalized. The designated events are going to have great, great fields, and the not-designated events are going to have so-so fields. Right. And so the question is going to be, what are the television uh, ratings for the non-designated events? How do the corporate sponsors feel about uh, being affiliated with uh, events with just so-so fields? We're going to learn a lot uh, this year about the future of the, the schedule of the PGA Tour. Yeah, it'll be very, very interesting. What do you think of the Masters' decision to uh, let the former winners in? Uh, many of those or some of those are live players. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they're greeted by their fellow or former PGA players. Well, it's, it's Augusta. It's the Masters. Civility will reign in Augusta if no place else. Uh, I don't think there's going to be any contentiousness between the, the players that week. I don't think that I wasn't surprised at all with the Masters' decision about their past champions, but you have to parse their press release pretty carefully. They basically said they reserve the right to change the invitation criteria hmm. uh, and that we can expect an announcement if there is such a change uh, at this year's Masters. I could see them tightening the criteria. I could see them going so far as to say, we're an invitational tournament. Here's a list of people that we have invited, period. And if you're not on that list, you're not playing. Hmm. That would be a very interesting situation. huh? Because I've heard a lot of the live players who said, and, you know, Dustin, Phil, Sergio, who have won the Masters, who said, well, if they don't want us back, you know, that's fine. We just won't go. Well, I don't think anybody's not going to show up at Augusta. Um, it is, you know, it's it's Switzerland. It's neutral for the most part. And, yeah. and, you know, nobody doesn't want to not play in the Masters. I think, however, that Phil has kicked away any opportunity that he might have had to become an honorary starter down the road. Yeah, I think that. And he's obviously thrown away the Ryder Cup. I want to talk a little bit about that, uh, but we got to take a quick break. Uh, we're going to be back with uh, Jim Nugent, CEO of the online Global Golf Post. Check it out at globalgolfpost.com. We'll be right back on the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. Thank you for being with us. Hey, guys, my name is Chesson Hadley. I play golf on the PGA Tour, and I'm on the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. And welcome back. I'm Rich Stiles. We're on the phone with uh, the CEO of Global Golf Post, Jim Nugent. Jim, are you going to the PGA Show next week? I am. Uh, for me, the show begins uh, Monday. Uh, yep. Meeting scheduled. Uh, I think it's going to be a very bullish uh, PGA show. Uh, uh, you know, it's, it's the first normal show we've had since COVID. The show was canceled in 21. It was downsized dramatically in 22. So I think that uh, uh, the industry is really 
very much looking forward to gathering in Orlando next week. I think it's going to be a, a very busy and productive week for the industry. Yeah, I really do. I'll probably see you down there at some point. Um, any company or product that you're um, surprised that is going to the show or even more so surprised they're not going to the show? You know, nothing's really changed. Uh, most of the big uh, golf equipment brands are going to be there with the exception of TaylorMade. TaylorMade hasn't been a participant in the PGA show for several years. Um, but there's, you know, the, the show has evolved dramatically over the last 10, 15 years. There's no great big product announcement. There's no Neely Callaway unveiling uh, uh, Big Bertha. That just doesn't happen anymore. All of right. the products that you're going to see on the floor were introduced uh, over the fall. And so there's, there's not the excitement that there once was, but that doesn't mean that the show is any less important than it once was. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, though, from uh, my standpoint, uh, will the booths be smaller than they have been in the past? Because many of the golf manufacturers are doing boom business without the PGA show. It'll be interesting to see if their booths are as big as they used to be. They're going to be ever so slightly smaller. You're probably not going to be able to apply the eyeball test and say that uh, Callaway or Titleist has, you know, 2,000 less square feet of space. Right. They are gradually uh, shrinking it. And the, and the manufacturers, the major ones, are bringing fewer people. Right. Well, they've, they've written all the orders for the spring. They don't need their entire sales staff uh, on site to just stand around and shake hands with customers that they've already uh, gotten their orders from. So it'll be... Uh, it It'll be interesting. It's, it's gotten down to me over the course of the years. Uh, obviously, business used to be done that way, but now it's done in the fall, as you said. So it's more like a, a PR issue to be seen, to do some interviews, and just say hey to friends that you've done business with over the years. A lot of networking, a lot of pats yep. on the back, lots of hands shaking, but not nearly as much commerce that was once a, a critical part of the show. But again, I don't think that really has diminished the show in a, in a really meaningful way. Yeah. All right, let's talk about what's coming up in September, the Ryder Cup. Um, how affected do you think that both teams, U.S. and European, are going to be by all of this live stuff? Uh, there's some great young players on both sides of, of both teams that I think will make up for that, uh, but it's, it has made choosing players to play and the choices that the captains have a little bit more difficult. You know, I don't think there's a lot of change on the American side. Obviously, Dustin Johnson's not going to be there, but it's questionable whether he would have made the team in the first place. Right. Because uh, his, his ranking and his performance had slipped in recent years. The real uh, thing to keep an eye on, and we got a hint of it last week, is the European team. They've lost a generation of players. Sergio Westwood, Poulter, um, uh, really guys that, you know, were, were defi that defined the European team. Right. But I wouldn't count them out. Um, they, they had a Ryder Cup-style competition last week uh, on the European tour called the Hero Cup or the Hero Invitational, and Captain Luke Donald was there. And there's some bright young talent on the horizon on the European tour ready to replace those stalwarts. And if, if they come along, if they can develop quickly – I think the European team uh, has a chance to really surprise everyone, including the American squad. I don't think it's going to be nearly as lopsided 
as people suspect it might be at this moment in time. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. I mean, I've, I've watched a little bit of the Hero Cup, was impressed by, you know, some of the players. Uh, speaking of being impressed by, do you think that Zach, who's already appointed Davis Love as a co-captain, uh, do you think that uh, Tiger will be included in that group of folks that are going to go along and help Zach with the pairings? I think Tiger Woods is going to be at every Ryder Cup that's contested for the next 10 years. Okay. Um, I don't think he's going to be playing, but he's going to be in the mix. Certainly he's going to become a captain very soon, and, and he might get more than two captaincies because he's Tiger Woods. Yeah, I got you there. Anything that you're looking forward to for this year on the PGA Tour? we got about 30 seconds. Uh, it's it's going to, you know, it centers around live, and it just... Uh, are more players going to leave? Um, what's going to happen in, in the dynamic between the tour and live? What's going to happen off the course in the courtrooms? The first big court case comes up in London in a couple of weeks with the European tour. So the narrative for this year, unfortunately, hasn't changed. It's uh, the PGA Tour versus live, and it's overshadowing just about everything else at the moment. Got it. Jim, see you next week at the PGA Show. Thanks for being with us. Rich, thanks for having me on. Look forward to seeing you in Orlando. Okay, take care. Thank you for being with us on the Back Nine Boys Golf Podcast. Listen to us each week at backnineboys.com. Thank you for being with us. You've been listening to the Back Nine Boys Golf Show with Rich Stiles. Go to backnineboys.com for all things golf whenever you want it. We'll be back next week with an all-new Back Nine Boys at backnineboys.com.